Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine. Hello and welcome to episode 115 of Life Beyond the Numbers. This is the last episode of 2022 and is even going out on the last day of 2022. Saturday, December 31st, 2022 is a fifth Saturday of the month and that means a compilation episode. And I wanted a way of putting some highlights together from 2022. Earlier this year, I did an episode called The Way You Make Me Feel. That was episode 90. And that looked back at a number of the earlier episodes in the year. So highlights from earlier in the year. And around the lens of how guests made me feel, basically. (laughs) And stories that resonated, stood out that I remembered long after the episodes had been recorded. So I took a somewhat similar approach to putting this compilation together. And I've gone from episode 91 up to now and picked out seven snippets for you and all around the lens of how to have a more fulfilling work life. So very much focused around what people's working lives are like how they've redefined their working lives as they've gone through them. A quick rundown of the seven snippets so you know what's ahead. We start off with David Lee from episode 102 talking about human nature at work. And then Kirsty Ritchie from episode 91 talks about a pretty big career change in her 40s. Pete Bearder from episode 109 talks about how he discovered what he wanted to dedicate his life to. And Natasha Tomlinson from episode 103 has quite an unusual story about how she decided to just go for it. Chris Lantown from episode 111 talks about her own existential career crisis as she calls it but also how she discovered to redefine success for herself. We go to 
Dougal Freeman from episode 92, who talks about what he's looking for in a new role. And finally, we go to episode 108 to talk about what does it really mean to find the answers inside. And that we do with Robin Harris. So they're the seven snippets for you. Hopefully you enjoy listening to them. And obviously, if you would like to listen to the individual episodes, then there'll be a link in the show notes so you can go directly to them. Have a wonderful 2023. I hope wherever you are in the world that you enjoy your year and that it brings you joy and fulfillment and I look forward to the year ahead and see what it brings us all. As always I would love to hear from you if there's anyone you think who would be a great guest who could talk about their work life whether they're in employment or self-employed please send some recommendations. Until next week And next year, Happy New Year. You call yourself a people whisperer. Please explain what that is. (laughs) Well, there's a bit of a backstory. And it also is sort of the backstory to how I came up with a name for human nature at work. So my first career was as a therapist. I worked in the trauma field and the mind-body medicine field. And I was really fascinated by the neuroscience behind how, like sometimes a single event, a trauma could change somebody forever. And I knew the psychology behind it, but I was wondering more about at the more primary neurological, biological level. I was also burning out in the field and I wanted to do something different. And I'd always been fascinated by the workplace and including how unhuman friendly oftentimes workplaces are. And so it was so wild as I was reading the research on how, whether it's acute stress or chronic stress affects the human brain and affects things like The ability to think creatively affects whether people are able to embrace diversity or are very tribal and xenophobic, how it affects emotional intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. And as I'm reading all this research, I'm thinking, oh man, all this effort that's being put into change management, customer service, diversity training, it's like all these things that companies are literally spending billions of dollars a year annually alone in the States, let alone globally, the way stress affects the human brain is preventing those things from working. And so it's like pouring water into a bucket with holes, except in this case, it's money. So when people would ask me like, oh, so what do you do? And I would like try to explain about neuroscience and everything. And I could see their eyes glaze over. I'm like, okay, that's not a really great way to explain it. And that's when I came across this keynote speech by Dr. Peter Senge that was so perfect. So Peter Senge is just brilliant. And he's really in many ways considered like one of the 
the fathers of the whole learning organization. So in this keynote, he talked about writing his book and he asked Edwards Deming, father of the quality movement, to write a dust jacket testimonial. And Deming writes back this page and a half diatribe in classic Deming fashion. He's kind of a curmudgeon. And it was funny because Peter Senge said when he read Deming's letter, he realized when you get to 80, you don't worry about sugarcoating things. You just tell it like it is. Because in this page and a half diatribe, Deming writes, our prevailing system of management has destroyed our people. And Dr. Senge said, you know, what Deming was getting at is that our prevailing system of management is fundamentally inconsistent with human nature. That's all. (laughs) And so that's when it hit me. That's really what I'm trying to talk about. It's understanding human nature and what makes people tick. And so that's where the idea of a people whisperer comes into play. It's like the more you understand human nature, the more you bring out the best in people. So that's what I think of as a people whisperer. Something you said really struck me was that our workplaces are unhuman friendly. How did that happen? Yeah, here's a couple ways that I make sense of it. So one historically is the way people learn to manage is based on a model that was created to get people in factories to be compliant, like people who used to work for themselves on farms and do whatever else they do to get them to be compliant. So it's the prevailing system of management. And I love how Dan Pink, in one of his talks, he says, think about this, that the the typical approach to management, the models that informed that were developed by men who were born during the Civil War. And, and he goes on to say, how's this for a perfect analogy? The cutting edge communication technology in the Civil War was the telegraph. Imagine somebody in your company saying, instead of all the cutting edge telecom stuff, we're going to use a telegraph. Good idea, right? It's like, it's a little outdated. (laughs) And it's like, our management system is a little outdated. But popular. Yeah, and I I know. And that's like, before we started recording, we're both like, like, what is up with that? Yeah. And I guess that speaks to, and this is more of a whatever, philosophical, maybe spiritual side of all this is one of the things that I think about is how transactional most workplaces are as opposed to relational. And so many people have learned to shut down their humanity just to make it through the day. In a lot of workplaces, you have to develop a thick skin just not to be chronically ticked off and resentful and hurt. And that same thick skin can make you insensitive and compassionate, if that's a word, you know, uncompassionate toward other people. And so it's like so many organizations, I think, are just like robotic and it just perpetuates itself. 
I, I sometimes um, say I, I, I used to be an accountant. I am still an accountant. I'm a chartered accountant. I've had my own struggles with, with mental health decline. Don't get me wrong, I love accountancy. I am a geek. Absolutely. Give me a balanced balance sheet any day and I'm happy. But something happened to me as I started to climb the proverbial ladder and I've always sort of gravitated towards problems. You know, anything that was broken, I jumped in to fix it. You know, whether it was a, a team that was underperforming or a process that didn't work, I was front and centre. Um, I was also a lecturer back in the day when I qualified as an accountant. I thought that sounds like a great job. And I went off and I taught professional accountants for a while as well. And I think helping others was just in my blood somehow. I didn't know it at the time. It was only really on reflection now that I can see it. What happened was I was really struggling to be myself. When I see something that's wrong, uh, I have this urge. Um, I have to say something. And that doesn't really work in a corporate culture where you've got to toe the line, you've got to suck up to the right people, you've got to agree when everything tells you it's wrong. It's that don't ask questions, don't disagree. And I couldn't really work out how others couldn't see that they were being forced to conform, you know, to, to agree because one person says so. So in other words, there was no psychological safety. It was one way or the highway. That was it. And I, I just lost my passion for that. Not for the job, not for what I was doing, but the, the culture that I was being forced to accept. And I'd been, you know, in this for 25 years. And it just, it broke me in the end. And and my final experience was, was a pretty negative one. I suffered harassment from senior management and at that point, I had just had enough. I couldn't do that anymore. And then it just like, it, so it was like, I have to do something about this. Um, again, it was a problem, you know, I had to fix it. And I heard, uh, so this was during my recovery, I'd heard on the TV um, about a psychotherapy course. And I just thought, oh, that could really teach me about myself. That could help me understand what happened. I'm an analytical person, I had to understand. And so I applied, got onto the, the, the course, and I met my business partner on day one. Um, and we were just so in tune about our experiences in big corporate. And the more we talked, the more we realised it was just, oh, we could really do something here. This feels different. We realised that we're quite feelings led, even though I'm this structured, crazy blue person who is about balance and numbers and everything working and structure. I'm also really led by, by feelings. And the more we talked, the more we thought, we could do something here. We could try to fix this problem that is happening in corporate culture. We could blend our experience with psychotherapy this is quite unique. And I've known Louise now for six years. Our business has been going for three years and it's pretty incredible. I look back and I just think, is this really happening? Um, did, I, did I really do this? And I, I wrote a, a blog on it at one point going, what's it like to change your careers in your forties? And it wasn't that scary. At the end of the day, I, I left something that I loved, but I didn't love 
how it was making me feel and what it was doing to me. And I've now I'm earning nowhere near what I did as a, an accountant, but oh, I'm so much happier. <laughs> um, and coming to work every day and going, wow, that was a privilege to have that conversation with an individual, to have that individual trust you to guide them and help them and support them. Every day I get a wow moment and who can say that they get that? It's pretty incredible. So, Pete, you're a poet. Yes, don't don't, don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more about the type of poetry that you do. or How did you know it could be a job? I'm not entirely sure it still is. <laughs> <laughs> I was very lucky enough to be inspired by spoken word artists back in around about 2005 and seeing people get up on stage. You know, people in, in my hometown of Oxford, people like Steve Larkin, people who were putting on slams. And I was going to these events, poetry slam competitions. I was going to these events and for the first time I'm going, wow, this person is doing the oral tradition in a way I didn't even know what the oral tradition was but what I was looking at was like pushing all my buttons it was funny it was politically outspoken in a funny educative and clever way and it, it was engaging me emotionally and physically and I was being asked to stamp my feet and clap my hands and take part in these rituals of competition and I'm like wow this is what I want to dedicate my life to and it's great that this is what my last book was about, how that oral tradition has come back to life in the context of all of these issues that we've been talking about. So, Tasha, we all love a good story. Absolutely. I don't know anyone that doesn't love a good story. And I think we like to hear about things that we've maybe thought about doing ourselves and we've never been brave enough. Or maybe we just like to hear a different perspective on something we've done. But... I saw one of your stories on LinkedIn and I was kind of blown away. I was like, wow. <laughs> so please tell us the story I'm talking about. Oh, blimey. Okay, so I sort of hit a bit of a crisis in my career. I got to a point where I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing and not through any fault of anyone else. I literally just, I think I've been doing it for so long. I just thought, what am I doing and what benefit is this giving to anybody? So I went to a life coach who was a friend of a friend and sort of spoke to them about what I was wanting to do. I went to university and did psychology. I did a master in psychology and I sort of veered off into accounting, as you do when you're young. Yeah. You know, someone <laughs> offers you a job, you go, yes, of course I'll have that. Thank you very much. So I sort of went I knew in heart of hearts I wanted to go back into psychology. It was just my passion. So I thought if I could do something that allowed me to go back into that field would be absolutely amazing. Obviously, having 20 years or so of, of accounting under my belt, it was really, really difficult to walk away from a very solid career. And I think I wanted from the life coach probably validation just someone say go for it <laughs> you know you're not being stupid you're not being crazy just go for it and she I don't believe in psychics and astrology and all that sort of stuff but she sent me off to an astrologer and said go and see her she's really really good and I was very very skeptical so I had a very brief phone call with this with this lady who took my date of birth and place of birth time of birth that sort of stuff but absolutely nothing else about me at all I went to see her and the upshot was, she said there was two different sort of charts. One was a star chart, one was a soul chart or something like that. But they were in conflict, which 
just pretty much explained me so and she said if you aren't already you should be working in psychology or all that sort of field and I was taken aback really because I I had given her no information at all about what I wanted to do and I assumed the life coach hadn't either so it was quite detailed and she said that you're going to completely change what you're doing but she said don't rush whatever you do do not rush you're going to be self-employed but please don't rush this will find you and within three to five years you will be doing exactly what you want to be doing you'll be really really happy and you'll be running a successful business and in in charge of your own future and we're now three years on and I am (laughs) so it's a little bit crazy I just love your description of your corporate career existential crisis what happened (laughs) I know it sounds very dramatic doesn't it so my crisis, I have air quotes. My crisis was really, I think something that was coming and building for many years. So there wasn't a big dramatic moment, but what it was, was after years of being quote unquote successful at my work, I started, I got my MBA. I got a master's in accounting. I was doing financial work at MIT. I ran a business with my husband for a while and I found that there was this internal voice, this internal restlessness that would come and go, that would say, is this really where you want to be putting all your time? You're giving so much effort to your job and being successful and always having your eye on that next promotion, always focused on the accolades. And it felt good to do that. And that was my habit to do that. But there was a voice inside that was saying, you're meant for something else. And I didn't know or have any clarity around exactly what that looked like. And so I had to push it aside because without that certainty, I couldn't act on it. I got to a point in my forties, I had two kids at home and so much of my time and effort was going into my job. I was getting higher and higher in the organization and I needed to know that my time and effort was going towards something that felt really meaningful to me. You've said that there was this internal uprising, you wanted meaningful work, but you didn't know what that was. So right. how did you figure out what you mm. wanted? Mm. That is still a work in process, of course. I'm delighted to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. If Only in looking back do I see that I did have, and I hear this around me too all the time, this like, I'm ready to live life on my terms. I'm ready to do my own thing. And that was part of that uprising was this sense of like, I'm tired of other people setting my priorities. I'm tired of the strategic plan rolling down to each department and lining up my goals. By the time it gets down to me, this what feels like completely meaningless work and going to meetings and just talking about stuff that doesn't have any impact. And I want to do it differently. I want to have more agency. I want to be able to set my own priorities. I want to spend time doing what it is that I want to do. I want to have time to figure out exactly what that is. And when it came down to it, once the opportunity was there, and I've heard, I think it was Sue Monk Kid who talks about crisis as separation and opportunity. The opportunity was there. I did have a moment where I realized that I hadn't really stopped to figure out what it is that I want, that I could talk about what I didn't want, but I hadn't figured that out, which made a lot of sense based on my habit of 
looking for external validation and defining myself based on what I thought other people wanted from me. Yeah, that's the second time you've mentioned that habit. So I'm going to go back to that habit for a minute, because where did that (laughs) habit come from, Chris? You said it was uh, getting accolades and promotions and so on. Is that from gold stars in school kind of thing? Is it go back that far? Oh, sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think it really does go back that far. I received praise from a very young age, from a very loving place um, that I was really smart. And I was going to go places and do things. And I did. I played that out as soon as I got into school. And I did get the A's and the gold stars. And I did collect all of the uh, activities and accomplishments and editor of the school paper and president of the senior class. And like I just started collecting these gold stars so I could get into university and just continue on and on and on from there. And so I didn't spend time looking through the lens of what is it that I want. I didn't have to because I was feeling so loved and safe doing what was expected. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of profound, isn't it? In one way, everything was perfect. Mm -hmm. You were doing what was expected. You were building this amazing career. Yeah. But you'd never thought about what it is you wanted. I wondered as you were talking, did you meet other people like you? So you were in quite a privileged position in an organization with people coming to you with what was going on in their lives. And did, did this come at you as well from others? I do think that it is a common theme. I wouldn't go so far to say it's universal, but I think the putting on of a mask or a persona from a young age and not even necessarily realizing it's there until you're much older and you start feeling that uprising and that pain and and that disconnect. Certainly I saw people who were realizing that was happening and also people that I think that were suffering existentially and maybe not identifying quite what was going on yet that might have been suffering from a similar situation or perspective I guess and all I had to do was muster the courage to make that leap (laughs) (laughs) so that is an important piece of work and it can take a long time it does take a lot of courage It takes an ability to walk into something where you don't know what's going to be on the other side. And it was all those things. And what I quickly learned though, is that once I got on the other side, I was still me. And I still wanted somebody to tell me what to do. And I still looked around and tried to find someone to model myself after. I Even leaving my job, I had made what I referred to as an unholy pact with myself. You can do this as long as in short order, you replace your income doing this next thing. This is how this is going to go. This is how we're going to make this okay and not disrupt the world around us because that's not okay. (laughs) not being successful is not okay. Still not okay. And I felt that distortion quickly 
creeping back in, even though now it was just me in front of a computer screen trying to figure out what was next. And that's where I started to realize I didn't know what I wanted, that I didn't have access to that. Wow. I can relate to so much of what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> My mind is a bit like, whoa, sit down. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely there is there's faced with yourself. I think that <sighs> what I often felt was I'm actually now I'm faced with myself. And there is nowhere to go. This is all on me and me alone. And not necessarily alone. I think that's the other thing. I had to get to a point where I was able to ask for help. Because mm-hmm. I didn't oh, know what I was doing. <laughs> absolutely. And what you also lose is the ability to blame the situation, <laughs> right? And you hear the talk now still, and a lot of it's true. Like there's toxic work environments and people aren't being seen and heard and treated like human beings. And all of that is true to certain extents in certain places. But when that's gone, it's not the end all be all. It wasn't for me. Like that wasn't the whole picture. And the picture was that I had a lot of work to do and deconditioning and being very intentional about not carrying the old habits and the distortions with me into this new life. Because what I saw is that on the trajectory that I was on in two years, I was going to be exactly where I was when I left my corporate job that same discomfort, that same restlessness, because I would have adopted somebody else's rule book and found success defined by somebody else and all in honor of being able to say, hey, look at me, I did it. I was successful once again. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, and have you come up with a new definition of success? That's a wonderful question. Success for me now is trusting myself and being patient enough to see what emerges rather than rushing to create some version of success that makes sense to other people. That's beautiful. Mm. it's difficult yeah yeah we've talked a lot about teams and people here as well and I just wonder looking back at your career now and in all the countries you've worked in and all the different cultures and gender norms and whatever it is what is maybe something that you're really proud of that you achieved with people God, that's a, that's a challenging question to answer. I'm I'm probably the biggest piece is watching a number of colleagues who I've hired, who I've worked with, imparted knowledge to go on to do to have really successful careers, who have all said they've enjoyed working with me, felt empowered, supported, and encouraged. And this is men and women in all many different countries to see them really 
move on when they're ready to move on, but knowing that actually they've got something out of working for me. And it's not about me per se, it's about the impact on other people, giving people a chance and a break. Lovely. Of course, putting people first is one of the things I talk about and, and that's music to my ears, as you know. So look, Dougal, I mean, we've absolutely run out of time here, but I know that you're currently the CFO of an organisation called Oxford Policy Management and you're part of what history might call the Great Resignation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So having joined Oxford Policy Management in 2018, the recent sort of job was around resetting the team there, a complete sort of restructure and rebuild of the finance systems. I've achieved all the sort of goals I've set myself. We've recently had a year end where the the business is in great shape, a decent profit levels have been returned to. There's a decent pile of cash in the bank and it's time for me to move on to, to another challenge. And I'm sure many... CFOs or finance professionals out there will understand it's it's a good time to leave after a decent year end. So I took the plunge and popped the resignation in. And so I'm currently carefully considering my next challenge. Not really sure whether it's going to be for profit or not for profit, but looking for something that excites and interests me and where I can get involved, particularly on the people side of things, and bring my skill and experience to bear to prove and shape whichever organization I joined for. (laughs) Sounds like you're in a job interview here with me now, but that's really interesting because you, you've left without another job to go to. And are are there certain sectors that you're more interested in? And when you say a challenge, I'm assuming you don't want to end up in a war zone again or anything like that. Yeah, I, I don't want to end up in a war zone again. I still like the sort of development sector. I'm obviously interested in sort of the, you know conservation and sustainability supply chain related i have a burgeoning interest in sort of renewable power uh, and re- renewable energy and how that's being rolled out in particularly places like east africa so so you're having a good look i'm having a good look i want to make a careful choice about where i go next i'm not in a rush we don't change anything for the other person we might share concepts, ideas, shine a light on things that they haven't looked at before or join the dots that they haven't seen before. But we're not doing anything for them. They are doing it. And for me, that's so important because I describe myself as a mentor rather than any of the other terms that coaching and stuff that people sometimes use because I want for myself as well to be conscious that all I'm doing is holding that space but the answers are the person's own unique answers. Because that was very much my own journey. I was feeling stuck and turning to ask for help because I got myself into that position where I thought, oh, well, this is wrong and that's wrong and this person needs to be different and that. So I think I was pointing, looking for things outside and then somebody said to me something and it didn't really twig, which is why I can't really remember, but you know those things that kind of, they plant a seed and then later you go, oh, that's what they meant. But something about, but you can't find the answers out there. The answers aren't out there. The answers are inside. And until you can look inside and find your own answers, answers that you have from outside won't work. And 
I'm not sure if I can remember the quote, but there's he who's convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So when you say to somebody that the answers are inside of you, how do we explain that? So if somebody is going, well, what the hell are those two talking about? The answers are inside of me. I can't find them. I don't know where they are. Where do I start? And I wonder if at times we feel that it's a little self-indulgent or selfish to spend time on ourselves and exploring what's on the inside. Absolutely. And there's a couple of things there. There's very much a belief or has been that self-care is selfish. Self-care is actually the best gift we can give not only to ourselves, but to everybody around us because we fill our cup, we have more to share with others, we come as our best self to every situation, or at least we're conscious of what we're doing and how we're responding, not reacting. I think initially when we start off, particularly if we've been particularly ingrained in the system, then it's not joyful and it's not magical, it's scary. And I haven't a clue where to start. And everybody's talking about being authentic and living with integrity. And I don't know how. I've had people say to me, how? How do you be authentic? And the more you try to be authentic, the less authentic you are and the less authentic you feel and the more like a fraud you feel and it's imposter syndrome and it just balloons from there. But I think when we can take it back to the simple, then like you say, it really is magical. There is such the wonder is in there and the magic and you get a momentum and you don't want to stop it's like the penny drops and they can rush forward for a bit and then they hit another bit of a oh right this is some new territory again I'm not sure how to be conscious in this or who I am in this and it just builds from there but it certainly does become more exciting more fun more magical yeah something that you realize it's exploration and it's play. It's not hard work and it's not painful. It's just every day is a new learning. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.